Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TMA Ask the Expert podcast series. Today's podcast is entitled Quality of Life Adaptive Driving. My name is Kristen Smith, and I will be moderating this, this podcast. The TMA is a nonprofit focused on support, education, and research of rare neuroimmune disorders. You can learn more about us on our website at myelitis.org. This podcast is being recorded and will be made available on the TMA website for download via iTunes. During the call, if you have any additional questions, you can send a message through the chat option available with GoToWebinar. For today's podcast, we are pleased to be joined by Tammy Phipps and Sandy Hannabrink. Tammy Phipps is an occupational therapist earning her MS at the University of South Dakota in 2000 and CDRS. By 2003, she had developed the third hospital-based driver rehabilitation program in the state of South Dakota, serving northeastern South Dakota. Tammy deployed as a reservist to Iraq for one year, from June 2007 to June 2008. In 2008, she developed the first comprehensive driver rehabilitation program in the Department of Defense. She provided driving rehab services to over 600 military service members with limb loss, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress and anxiety, paralysis, burns, visual deficits, and complex polytrauma from October 2008 to October 2016. Tammy served as the spokesperson and subject matter expert for driving-related issues for WRNMMC, the National Capital Region, the DOD Center of Excellence, and the Office of the Surgeon General. She has received numerous awards for her work in the field of driving rehabilitation, including the Meritorious Service Medal, a military award presented to military members who distinguished themselves by outstanding meritorious achievement, for her work with wounded warriors in driving, and in 2016, she received the Ralph W. Braun Spirit of Ability Award. In August 2016, Tammy opened her own private practice, Driver Rehabilitation Center of Excellence, LLC, in Chantilly, Virginia. She provides driver rehabilitation services to people with disabilities, striving to make community mobility driving accessible to as many as she can reach. Sandy Hannabrink is the Executive Director of Touch the Future Incorporated. Sandy was diagnosed with transverse myelitis in 1985. She is a Paralympian with gold, silver, and bronze medals, has set many national and international records over her career, and still holds American records for shot put, discus, javelin, and in swimming. Sandy is an occupational therapist who has developed a practice niche in advocacy, assistive technology, and networking individuals with disabilities and service providers to the necessary resources and funding to achieve individual life goals. She has multiple presentations and publications at the local to international levels, including topics on effectively educating and employing individuals with disabilities, reasonable accommodations, disability laws, disabled sports, and assistive technology. Sandy has received many awards and recognitions for her work. Welcome to our panelists and thank you both for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Okay, so um, the first question we received 
was how do I start the process to get back behind the wheel again or as a new driver with no previous driving experience? Um, so this is Tammy and um, I'll go ahead and answer that. I believe we've got two questions in one. So I'll start with the first question, um, which is the process for getting back behind the wheel. Assuming that um, you're an experienced driver and you have um, a valid current driver's license is kind of the key there. Um, the process in remembering licensing is specific to each state. Each state has a little bit different um, nuances. So some states require you to go through a medical review process and others um, don't. Um, so the first step would be uh, to go ahead and uh, reach out for a driver rehab specialist. And to find those, you can go on to ADED.net and you can search for CDRS providers um, and reach out to them to determine what the process is. Um, typically what you're looking at is you're going to need a physician referral and really that's just to medically clear you to drive. So we wanna make sure that there's no underlying medical issues that would uh, be contraindicated for driving. Example, seizure disorder or uh, a vision you know, deficit or issue. As long as you're medically cleared um, to start the process, um, once the driver rehab specialist has the referral and the clearance um, and they have valid current license, um, then we would start with a uh, comprehensive evaluation and the therapist should really be looking at everything from the top down. How's your vision? How you're thinking? Um, how's your reaction time? Um, and then followed up by a behind the wheel uh, evaluation. So that's how we start. Um, and through other questions here, we can go through the process of all of that. Now, a new driver is different. Uh, a new driver is um, a few more steps. So we would have to start with first because ultimately the goal is not to learn to drive. Just remember that. The goal is to drive. And so really you want to be not just looking at the first step, but the very end as well to include you know, how much is the process going to cost? How much is the vehicle going to cost? What kind of vehicle should I get? And um, again, that will cover that a, uh, a little bit later. Um, but the new driver is going to need to get a permit um, because the driver rehab specialist needs to be legal. You need to have that to get in the vehicle. So that's how you um, would start the process. So my recommendation is to always start with call um, a driver rehab specialist company in your area or as close as you can get uh, and then start there. Um, some people will start with their physician, which is really most physicians have no idea. Um, and they probably will start you um, with call the DMV. And that really ends up being a um, hamster wheel and you end up not really getting any answers. So my suggestion there is to start with your uh, driver rehab specialist and find out how to start. And then okay. uh, this is Sandy, um, um, you know, like she's already said, the, um, every state is different, um, but in um, some of the states in the Southeast where we've worked with is once that evaluation, that starting point of are you safe to drive or what are the um, different adaptions and stuff that you need that would be done during that comprehensive assessment are determined, um, for the new driver, if they happen to still be in high school and their high schools have drivers training, um, then 
once that once they know what's done, then vehicles have been rented so that the driving practice, like all new drivers um, would do, sometimes can be done um, with the driver's ed program. Many times they contract with the certified um, therapists who are certified for driver's training and evaluation um, to, do, to provide that service, but the school pays for it. And that's off, and um, I'll tag on to that. That is um, very, very specific to not just the state, but the school districts. Correct. So depending on, yeah, so depending on um, one thing that um, is also a rabbit hole that some people kind of go down is with the new drivers in high school, depending on how their Department of Education is set up, driving is driver's ed. Uh, the behind the wheel piece is typically contracted out and it, and it is not part of a high school curriculum. So that means that then the school district does not have a responsibility to provide the accommodation. So that sometimes is, um, is something that you need to understand. And that differs not just from the state, but from the county as well. Correct. And I've gotten some school districts like she, like um, uh, Sandy said, some school districts have been fantastic and they've worked with us. Um, and there are other school districts that, that don't. So, um, and then we also need to deal with uh, each state has graduated driver license rules as well. So it's always good to not just have that start point, but ask all those questions. Well, okay, how am I gonna get this done? How am I gonna get that done? And make sure you have all those answers. Okay, great, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, the next question, um, it's a multiple part again, um, but we had several questions about the type of vehicle and how do you know which vehicle is best for you? Can any vehicle be converted for you? And then what are the pros and cons of different vehicle types? Okay, I, I love this question. Um, when I first started in the industry, I, I really can't tell you how many people started sort of backwards and they went out and purchased something they thought would work for them only to come to find out that whatever modifications that are being recommended aren't compatible. Um, so the vehicle selection, um, it'd be fantastic if you can work with, um, at least have uh, some consultation from a driver rehab specialist to help you with that um, before you go out to purchase. But the first thing you have to think about when buying a vehicle, any vehicle you have to, the first thing is how am I gonna get in and out? And then how am I gonna get my chair in and out? Um, and then people tend to go to the internet <clears throat> and you can find all kinds of YouTube videos and say, oh, well, this is uh, this this vehicle is a Ford Escape and I can put a lift in the back or, or in the side. Um, it's, a, it's not something that you want to do without specific consultation. Vehicle make models, or even if you had a vehicle prior that, that your systems worked in and you're just upgrading to a new model year, just know that every vehicle models um, change from time to time, every so, a couple of years. And so that means that the opening of the door changes, how far the door opens, the chassis, um, the frame, all of that stuff can change from model years. So it's really good to make sure you follow up with uh, either a driver rehab specialist who should hopefully be working with a modifier. So when we ask what vehicle is best for me, it's, it's not any different than, um, or really very, much different than anybody shopping for a vehicle. Can I get in and out? Can I get my chair in and out? Can my dog fit, my family fit? All those things that you have to consider. 
um, and then the pros and the cons um, when I counsel uh, my customers to purchasing a vehicle I want you to think about the compromise along with the solution meaning Whenever we do something to a vehicle, there's always going to be a compromise, and then you need to determine whether or not that compromise is acceptable within your family situation or your vehicle needs. Um, so the pros and the cons, obviously, we can go, uh, depending on the level of injury, your strength, um, and what what you want to do. Uh, we were just talking earlier before the podcast um, about the difference between buying a regular vehicle off the lot, having that modified, you transfer in, transfer, you know, load and unload your chair yourself, or, you know, moving into the ramp accessible vehicles. Um, the pros and the cons, the pros and the con, big one is money, right? The the cost of the full conversion with the drop floor and the ramp is obviously um, much more expensive than a standard vehicle. But again, you have to weigh out, you know, those uh all of those pieces and then make decisions um after you have all of the all of the variables if you can get them. Um the pros to using a wheelchair accessible vehicle or a ramp vehicle is uh you're in and out of the elements while you're doing your transfers. Um and you know the the cons of getting in and out, breaking your chair down, depending on how quickly you can do that, is uh, elements, time, and then also uh, the wear and tear uh, of the interior of the vehicle. Um, so I would say that pros and cons are always individual and personal to each person. Um, yeah, the, the other the, is looking yeah. at who is who are the providers in your area. If you're in major mm -hmm. metropolitan areas, you might have choices and even competition. So you have um, different um, installers and service providers where you get mm -hmm. where I am. This company does brawn. This company does, you know, VMI or whatever. They don't all work on all the equipment. So how far mm -hmm. you have to go to get your vehicle serviced. Um, is also something you need to consider. Um, for like for me, the closest is an hour and a half away um, mm -hmm. because I live in South Carolina and there's not as many choices of where I can go. If you live in DC, there's probably six different companies um, you could choose from. So that's something else that you need to consider. Um, you may like a certain um, option better and you're willing to drive the two hours um, when you need your equipment serviced um, but then again you might want something that's closer so and they only deal with this brand um, so that's something you have to consider as well and I'm so glad you brought that up as well um, I am gonna um, pigtail on that and say look be really very careful uh, when you're doing internet sales um, you may find what you think is a really good deal, and number one, it's going to be expensive regardless, and it would be a really uh, a shame to spend a lot of money on a vehicle that you've never seen. Um, you know, with the ramp accessible vehicles, it's really important that you, you know, have an opportunity to inspect the um, underneath. So, for example, if you go online and you want to buy a, uh, a conversion van, it's a great price, and you buy it from Houston and you forgot that there was recently a hurricane in Houston and you may have just bought a um, 
you know, a vehicle that's been flooded. A flood vehicle. Um, yep. And also, again, like I said before, each vehicle is very different and the conversions are very different. So you have no way of knowing if the seller is selling a vehicle that is a 56 inch, you know, opening or a, a nine inch drop or a 14 inch drop. And so again, um, be very, very careful. And if you can find an expert, um, obviously our installers might be a little bit leery, but hopefully you have a good relationship with them. Um, and then the other thing in terms of service. So if you do buy something sight unseen, do you have a dealer in the area that can service that vehicle, the conversion? Um, uh, also, there's different um, conversion companies, and there are some companies that are very uh, local to their area. And so don't assume that you can purchase a vehicle from a conversion company that just because you have a modifier, for example, Mobility Works or something like that, that they'll definitely work on that brand. And the seller is not the information, the person you want to get the information with or from because they're trying to sell you something. Make sure you follow up with the end person who would actually be servicing it. And they can confirm that, yes, we can uh, service that equipment. Okay. And we also, you guys both touched on this a little. Um, we received several questions about, do you need to get a vehicle with a ramp and then the process of having to uh, break down the chair if you do transfer into the driver's seat from uh, your wheelchair. Was there anything else um, either of you wanted to add on? I, I mean, one, it just depends on, I'm sorry, this is Sandy. One, it really depends on what your function is and what your preference is. Um, you know, personally, I prefer to break my chair down and use my car when I can because it gives me more access. I don't require a van accessible space. I can park anywhere. Um, you know, it's it's less gas, you know, it's cheaper. Um, the conversion's cheaper, you know, so, um, but I'm able to do that. Um, but I also have old faithful van with you know full-size van with a lift on it that we use for um because we um haul trailers and things like that so um for me to be able to get in that vehicle i can't make that transfer so i have have the lift and that then that requires me to have you know the van accessible parking available um so you know there's those limitations i also live um, in the foothills of the mountains and um, the ramp bands don't work around here because one our code officials don't know what ADA means mm -hmm. um, and they don't build our parking to code and so if you have a lot of uneven spaces and stuff and on hills the um, ramps jam and can't you can't mm -hmm. get them to go out um, the way they need to be for for safe safety so um, that was one of the decisions we made, um, plus with hauling, you know, our, what are you going to be doing with your vehicle? Are you going to be hauling a boat, hauling a utility trailer, you know, lugging kayaks and things around like that? Then you have to make those decisions. And some of the lowered floored vehicles don't work for going into boat mm -hmm. ramps and things like that because you're going to flood your system and then your ramp's not going to work. So those are all just different considerations, but it really depends on your lifestyle um, and what your choices are and what your function is. A lot of 
we do get a lot of people saying, well, it's better to get the ramp van or the, a lift or something like that than to break your chair apart. But again, it's your body and your, your options, um, uh, your choice, um, what you want to do. Can there be cumulative stress injuries with that? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, but there can be with doing disabled sports or playing tennis or, you know, different arts and crafts and stuff that people do. Um, so again, it comes down to what it's your decision about um, what your function level is now, what impacts it may be for you. Um, can you safely do it? Um, you know, like um, she said earlier, it's taking your chair in and out of your car. You are going to ding up your car and get dirt and grease and whatever um, on your car. Um, I haven't found anybody that tears theirs down that has an immaculate car um, because you are going to you know, lose your balance or whatever and, and scrape the side or your chair is going to fall over or something like that as you're um, putting it in the back seat versus the front seat or whatever, depending on how many passengers you have with you. So again, it's it's really a lifestyle choice. Um, and one of the things too, you, you, you mentioned um, a little bit, but uh, if you are in a rural area, those the lowered floor conversions do have a ground clearance um, issue. And as she mentioned with the ramps, if you have a ramp that um, is an in-floor and comes out, when it's on a grade, it, it's not going to work. Um, so that would be a, another thing to be thinking about. If you do do a, go, a lower floor, then you're going to probably want to fold out. Um, yes, there's a lot. And then there's also um, the, you know, the four-wheel drive options, and, and there's just a ton of conversions out there. Um, I mean, there's trucks. There's... I mean, mm -hmm. you name it, there's conversions. I mean, we just worked with a guy to convert his tractor. Um, so um, he's he's out farming now. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, the, again, you have to know different things. Some people are using scooters. So they're actually putting their, um, either having an, um, using the ramp vans or lift vans, or they're using an arm, they're able to ambulate some. So they put it on the back of their vehicle or they swing it into the back of the truck or in the back of the van or, or SUV. Um, you know, what is it that you're going to do? And then will, you know, that, um, that type of um, adaption work with the vehicle you have? And a lot of that depends, especially those rear mounted type things is where's the gas tank? Um, yep. you know, Toyota Camrys, you know, you can't put a lift, uh, hitch on because th the gas tank is there, you know, um, what's the weight and tow capacity of the vehicle. Somebody has a little compact car and you try to put something like that on the back. It, you know, it exceeds the weight. Um, so, um, same with power chairs. Some people are still able to ambulate enough to get in and out of their car and they choose to to put their chair on the back um, and then, you know, hold their balance on the car and get in the car. Um, so it really just depends on the individual and what their functional needs are. And again, remember who's selling the vehicle and always double, triple check. I, I have had many customers, in fact, one just yesterday purchased a Ford Escape, which is an SUV, and was told that she could put a Lyft, which is 250 pounds, um, with her 400 pound chair and the actual end result is no, you can't. So don't take the seller's word for it. If, if somebody in the uh, mobility side 
as you're purchasing that vehicle says you need to make sure that it has this specific feature, please always double check with somebody else because you know it's not that the salesperson is trying to um, manipulate or or give you misinformation, but they they really truly may not even know and they just say yeah 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 and now you have a vehicle that doesn't accommodate your need. Right. And then and the then other with option, the interior lifts people... you lose. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> with the interior lifts you lose the seats too. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. Sandy. And the rear lifts as well, mm -hmm. right? But the um the other option that people do is they're not buying new vehicles because they can't afford it, right? Mm -hmm. So they're buying secondhand. Um, and then, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, those are through like online exchanges and um, magazines, you know, or a dealer trade-in kind of thing, like Mobility Works sells the vans, but they also sell used vans that have been traded in and or that are part of their rental fleet um, and things like that. So knowing if there's warranties with that, um, not just for the vehicle, but also for the conversion. Um, if you're doing, you know, person to person, it's, you know, you, you're by, you get what you get. So making sure that they have no problem with you taking it to a conversion company and having them check it out as well as a mechanic, just like you would do if you were purchasing any used vehicle. Yep. That's great information. A lot of different things to keep in mind when you're going through this process. Um, one of the other questions we received was, what about special adaptations for quadriplegics? Are there any and what are they? Oh, absolutely. Um, so in the world of driving um, modifications, uh, you have everything from no equipment to high-tech equipment. So we have worked with uh, many um, people in, again, it depends on the level and the function um, of, the, of the quadriplegic. Um, my business partner is a C6 quad and he actually drives from his chair, uh, manual chair in uh, a minivan. Uh, but one adaptation that we had to do for him uh, was uh, reduced effort steering. Um, I've had um, other people at the same level that can do a transfer into either a six-way power seat or a turning out seat in a truck. And then I also have worked with uh, higher level quads um, who have uh, some hand function, but we don't have uh, you know, triceps and very little biceps. Then we move into what's called high-tech driving. Um, and there's so many options there. You can do um, joystick. You can actually drive a vehicle with a joystick and a single one single joystick that can do gas brake and steering. So um, all the way up to, in fact, it's not available for um, street driving yet, except for in Arizona, I have one person that is a semi-autonomous driver's license and he can actually, he's quadriplegic, Sam Schmidt, if you ever wanna Google him. Sam Schmidt was a race car driver and uh, hit the wall in 20 years ago or 25 years ago. And um, he is a C four C5 quad. And so he has no movement below uh, the neck. And he actually drives with a straw, a sip and puff, and then glasses. So that technology is coming. Um, it's definitely not an option that's uh, available for con uh, consumers right now. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, you know, if there's if there's ever a question, you just reach out. If not today, maybe in the future. So. And um, just so everybody knows, uh, you know, I'm sure somebody's listening that would love to drive with a straw. Um, Sam's car is about a million dollars, so we're not quite there yet for our average customers to drive that way. 
and then the, the state laws have to catch up as well. Okay. Um, now our next uh, set of questions talk more about the lessons themselves and, and the driving teacher. You guys mm -hmm. had mentioned before you could check out is it the ADED website? Do you want to elaborate mm -hmm. more on um, finding a teacher and if you need to look for somebody that has special qualifications and then talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the lessons themselves? Yeah. Um, so again, um, ADED.net is where is it's the professional organization for certified driver rehab specialists. If somebody is a member, and they really should be, there's very there's about 380 uh, certified driver rehab specialists nationally. So there's very few of us. Um, but I would uh, be concerned if, um, you know, really think that anybody in our industry really, you're going to find them on the, the website uh, to get started. If you can't find anybody in your area, um, talking to your therapist, um, either your physical therapist or occupational therapist to help you sort of navigate um, the systems in your, in your area and state. Now, remember, I, um, yes, I'm in the D.C. metro area. We have a lot of uh, resources. And even with the many resources we have, we have customers that are still um, annoyed with how far they have to go. Um, but I did come from rural South Dakota, and so I do understand um, the uh, the gaps, you know, in services. So as we are making our medical communities more and more aware of driving and that you can drive and that there are ways to drive and options to drive, hopefully the, the therapist in your area will help direct um, and, and you can also, uh, through the ADED website, if you can't find a provider in your area, please contact, there's a, um, you know, do you have a question or contact us, reach out to them. That's the, you know, this is how we uh, network and try to find you the resources or at least somebody uh, who's familiar with your area. Yeah, and another resource, even if you're not a Voc Rehab client, by contacting Voc Rehab and whoever... Oh, yeah. And the rehab, usually it's a rehab engineering department or assistive technology department and contact them. They're the ones that make the decisions for the clients who are going to get funded through Vogue Rehab. So they have those resources usually of who's in the um, greater area where they send to. And sometimes it depends on what your level is. So if you're quadriplegic, um, you may go to a different center because they can not, they can do the evaluation but also the training they have the equipment available versus maybe somebody does do the evaluations and that but they just do it for for basic um, controls they can't do the high tech um, so um, that's things that happen I know in our area and also if there is a vendor in your area that installs equipment uh, a lot of customers will start there because they, you know, Google, how do I get hand controls on my car? Um, so typically the installers in your area should be able to direct you to a uh, provider that can get you started. Um, all QAP, which is another organization that uh, manages uh, or keeps the mobility installer industry, um, they, they have to have a prescription from a provider in order to install equipment. So if somebody doesn't require a prescription, um, you really, again, need to think of the pros and the cons. Right, that's uh, a red Should flag. I have somebody in my, yeah, that's a red flag. And should I have somebody in their garage, um, you know, making something to put into my car? Great. Um, 
and anything additional about the the lessons themselves um, are they any different from lessons that people would receive if they didn't have a disability yeah so it really again depends on your function um, and what what we have um, for function to work with how complex the driving system may be um, that's really going to determine, just like in all of your therapy settings, we have skilled therapy. Once you reach a level that you no longer need a therapist, then you can, you know, either get, uh, go on with your life and do your driving, or there may be another level. So, for example, with my uh, new drivers, we will typically get them to a certain point and then go ahead and uh, turn them over to their parents just as a typical driver. But it really does depend on the equipment you're driving with. If you're driving with high-tech equipment, like the joystick we talked about, that is not going to be a system that we can turn over to any driver educator or parent or anything like that um, because of the, uh, the complexity of the system. Um, but the fundamentals, once we figure out the system that's necessary, the fundamentals remain the same. Okay, thank you. And we did have, um, going back to... Um, the, the vehicles themselves and, and driving. Uh, we did have a question that was sent in about what options are available for driving from a power chair and what are the typical costs? Mm -hmm. So if we're gonna be driving from a power chair, then we are definitely looking at a conversion vehicle. So you're looking at a lowered floor, either minivan or, um, so there's, there's really three options from driving from a power chair. There's a, well, could be four, but we'll go with three. Uh, the, the lowered floor minivan option um, with the ramp access, and we take out the front power, the front passenger, or sorry, the driver's seat, and fitting is absolutely critical. Um, we need to get you into the vehicle, make sure that the chair that you're gonna be driving from is compatible with um, Resna standards or the, um, for, for um, occupied and driving, um, we need to make sure your your line of sight is going to be out the windshield where it should be. Um, I've had people come in with a vehicle that they actually have to tilt their head sideways. That's not and it's not going to work. Um, also, the chair has to fit behind the steering wheel so that you're centered, not offset. So you know, an inch is a mile in this world. Um, the other option is um, there's a conversion called an ATC conversion, which is the, the pickup with the gold, like it's a gold wing door and a pan that comes out. Again, fitting and measurements are absolutely critical because um, your, your, your chair has to fit on that pan and um, again, the line of sight and all of those things. The other option is the MXV. Now, the MXV is the Ford Explorer, which they're no longer manufacturing, but we are going to—they are coming out with another SUV, and there's other companies that do SUVs. The um, thing about SUVs is they're much smaller, and unless you are a very small person with a small chair, um, that's not going to be a power chair option um, because the space doesn't accommodate the chair um, to fit behind the driver's station. Um, the cost. When you're looking at conversions, you have to, uh, the first price is the chassis of the vehicle itself. So if you buy, for example, a Toyota Sienna, what is a, you know, 2018 Toyota Sienna is probably going to be low end around $40,000. Then you need to add the conversion. 
conversion prices are anywhere between $25,000 and $35,000. So the total cost of the vehicle itself, you really need to be thinking around at the low end, seventy, dollars um, and that doesn't include the driving equipment. And that's that range is really uh, a very big spread, depending on what it is that you need. So you'll see how it's really, really important to come in and do an evaluation, ask all of those questions, and make sure you understand the end, what the cost is going to be, um, before you really invest in the whole process. Right. And that's why sometimes people will go to the old style lift systems because they're a little bit cheaper than your lower front lowered floor options mm -hmm. um, especially with the new transit vans um, and that that already come with raised ceilings in them mm -hmm. um, so we're starting to see more and more with that and where a lift can get put on in the rear or on the side right and then you're looking at the cost of a mercedes sprinter um, along with like a dual post lift or something like that one of the drawbacks on the um, um, like on the Sprinter, not just as the price, but the um, the height of it. So if you're in, um, let's say you're in the DC metro area or somewhere that you're using parking garages, it's another thing. You know, even if you find if even if you find an older um, full size van like Sandy has, um, that you you don't want to check your heights. Um, so to make sure that it's going to be able to either fit in your garage or or in those parking garages. Correct. Okay, and how about once you get into the vehicle, um, whether you're staying in your chair or if you're transferring out of it, um, how do you restrain your chair? Um, do you is that something easily you can do yourself? Um, especially if someone's a quad, can they put the chair restraint on? Mm -hmm. So typically, if you're a quad, um, I do have some quads um, that are super quads. We all know them. They can reach down uh, with what are called retractable belts and secure the chair. Um, but typically, in the quad level, um, you're going to be looking at a power tie-down. And that is um, basically it's a pin that goes on your chair. And then a um, something like a fifth wheel, or, or to me, it looks like a little Pac-Man, you know, drives the pin drives in and secures it. Um, so that's the, the way of securing the chair, either with manuals um, and the proper way to do that. Um, I know that there's the proper way and the way that people actually live their lives. But the proper way to restrain a wheelchair is to have all four um, uh, tie-down points in, especially, especially if you're going to be a passenger. Um, and so obviously, if you're a driver, that's just not going to be something that's possible. So we use those um, power tie-down systems. Um, if you are familiar with like a fifth wheel, I'm sure Sandy is. Um, that's that's basically the technology that we're using. Okay. And how about when um, when it comes to preventing pressure sores when you're driving? Um, it, can you just sit on the, the regular seat? Should you be using the cushion off your chair, another cushion. Do you have any um, recommendations on that? Uh, it, it's, it's such a specific um, question. Everybody's different. I have folks that need to get a custom cushion or a, a custom the actual seat itself. Um, and some folks are really good at pressure relief. So that's really going to be important for you to understand your own body and what your risk is and, and how we manage the um, the pressure. 
Um, one complication with that is, again, depending on where you are, if you're not, if your driver rehab specialist needs to be aware of the, the pressure um, issues and hopefully be working with your seating and positioning clinics to make sure that we're addressing that. Um, Sandy, do you have anything to add for? Um, yeah, I think, again, it's it's preference. Um, some people, um, you know, somebody's used to you sitting in a rojo all the time. Um, I do know many of the uh, folks that we work with, they have a, they, they, they have a rojo, um, they either take the rojo that's from their chair or use a rojo that's the size of the seat and sit on it. That also causes some challenges too, because then as if you shift, it could shift and cause a positioning change that um, for people. So you have to look at the seating in a car seat, just like you would look at the seating in a wheelchair for what functions are the person is the person going to use the cushion someone uses for every day where they're um, more static sitting in that is going to be different than the cushion they would use for wheelchair basketball, for instance. So the what cushion they're going to use for driving. And again, it's so very specific because do you have a history? Have you had surgery? Do you have an active sore? You know, and all these things play in. But the other thing is you start adding cushions, you start changing your reach and the positioning of your controls. You're changing your line of sight and what you can see and um, and some of the other safety like the uh, foot guards and stuff for spasticity and that. So it really is very unique to the individual, but the, the, the I guess the short answer to a long explanation is it really depends on you, but there are just like everything pros and cons. Um, the one other thing I wanted to mention about when you're choosing equipment, you're choosing equipment based on the equi uh, the chair you have now. When you go to get a new chair, you need to make sure that when you're doing your assessments and, and trials for what chair you're doing, you don't just say, oh, I want the newer version of what I've got because the footprint on those change as well and inches or even half inches can change mm -hmm. whether or not that um, chair is gonna work or fit on the, on the lift platform, whether you've got the turning radius inside the vehicle, whether you've got um, the position you need, especially if you're driving from your chair. So um, you can't just say, oh, that's a really cool chair. I want that one because we've had, I don't know how many people, especially with lift platforms, it's a fixed thing. You're not gonna be able to make it any longer. So if the footprint on your chair changes or the height of your chair changes, you may not make it through the door. And I'm gonna um, add on that for driving. Not only do we have to worry about the chair changing, but your tires changing. Um, I have a customer right now who's quadriplegic. She drives from her chair. Um, one of her um, challenges is is having the strength to get into the ramp, so she needs power assist. Um, so she is all ready to go, but she's waiting on those power assist wheels. And that adds not only um, width, it offsets, it changes where she sits behind the wheel, and um, it adds um, even the uh, even when you air up your tires, you know, a quarter inch, if you're driving from the chair, can literally make or break whether or not you're going to be able to drive from the chair. So think about all of those things. And if you are a manual chair user, 
I recommend if you are going to be, um, and this is something that um, some driver rehab specialists will um, be comfortable letting you drive from a manual chair, others will not. There's things to consider like the back height and things like that. However, if you're going to be using a, a manual chair and you're going to be putting a tie down on it, that pin in the, um, the, the piece on the floor that I was speaking about, that is going to change your center of gravity. It's going to change the amount of weight that you're pushing. So if I'm going that route, I usually recommend that we go ahead and, and tie a weight or attach a weight to the part of the chair where that bracket is going to be placed so that you can know what extra weight and how that's going to change how you're pushing. Um, it also is going to take, if you have a folding chair, um, you're going to make that a rigid frame chair. So know that if you want to go in a car, that rigid frame, you know, you've taken your folding frame and made it rigid and you can't fold it anymore. Those so are again, great. what are the compromises and the solutions, right? Okay, um, so we had another question come in about pumping gas. Um, okay. So once you're so, driving, do you, do you guys okay. have any yeah. recommendations? So I, <laughs> this is Tammy, and I'm going to let Sandy take that because she is uh, in a chair, and I'm gonna, I want to hear what Sandy has to say, and I'll add anything that I'm sure she will cover all of it. So pumping gas is actually covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and but there are restrictions in that. So like during the day, it's usually easier to get someone to pump your gas. Um, from the gas station, they use, they're supposed to have a call button or, and phone number available so that you can um, get someone out to assist you if you need assistance. Um, the pumps actually have to, the new pumps and stuff that go in actually have a standard. So they're within the ADA reach ranges so that you can. I was going to say, how many have you been able to reach? How, how many? Well, I can usually I said, I was going to ask you that, how many you can reach. Them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is then the gas, because I sit lower in my manual chair, then it's like the gas is right at my face. Um, and I don't have the strength to squeeze a lot of the um you know, controls. So I usually rely on the best company on out there right now for can, no matter what time of day it is, um, is QT. So a lot of people with disabilities um, go to quick trips because if they're available in your area, because they always um, come out really fast and do what you need and will even run and bring you snacks from inside. Um, but the ADA does require that if there is two, if there are at least two people working, that somebody has to come out um, during daylight hours. They're supposed to come out, but reality is, is they don't. So, um, and then you're at the mercy of um, strangers a lot of times and asking another customer to help you. So um, it still can be a challenge. Um, I travel a lot um, with with my car. And I can say now. Um, most of the um, main stations, if it's not a little bitty independent place, um, are pretty good. Um, but then if you're driving at night, that's when you start running into problems and having to rely on um, strangers um, to assist you. Um, but the um, help button, some of them actually have a wheelchair button. 
um, symbol, the universal symbol on them. And then usually there's a phone number um, that's there or um, Gas Buddy lists the phone number of the stores on their app. So you can actually call um, the location and um, if you don't see the number at the pump. Um, I have had where the people have refused to come out and I've called the local police station and said they're refusing to pump my gas and did an ADA civil rights thing and the police call and sometimes the police will pump it and then write them a citation um, or they'll um, go in and say you have to do it you know and then the police will stand there um, to kind of watch the store for them so it's a uh, that's another strategy um, that I've used. And um, at the end of the day, I, I recommend all of my customers plan ahead. Don't let yourself get into a situation where you're coming into a gas station on fumes because then you're really at the mercy of all of the things that Sandy um, had to say. Using the gas buddy, calling ahead, I'm going to be, you know, is there going to be somebody available so that you have a plan? Um, that's, that's really the best advice that I have. Yeah, but don't do like I had a, a client do. Do not carry cans of gas with you. Oh my goodness, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous on so many levels. Just just say no. Just don't do it. All right, thanks guys. Um, one of our last questions that we have before we wrap up is about funding. Um, what's available out there that will help? someone afford the cost of vehicle modifications, the driving training, um, thoughts on that? I'm gonna let Sandy take that one. Okay, so if you are part of vocational rehabilitation, depending on the state, um, they will assist um, with it if it is tied to your vocational goal um, or required, some states require it's, it's required for your job. And I don't know what job there is that you don't have to be able to get there. But sometimes you have to get tricky with doing that. So Voc Rehab um, um, is one of the options. Some of the Medicaid waiver programs um, will pay for the modifications. Um, they won't pay for the vehicle, but they'll pay for the conversion. That's the same with Voc Rehab. They don't pay for the vehicle, but they'll help with the conversion. Some of them have caps on the dollar amount. The Assistive Technology Act programs have loan programs that instead of getting a typical automotive loan, you can get a loan through the AT Act program, which gets you a low interest loan for a longer term so that it makes your payments affordable. So instead of having a typical five-year car payment, it might be a 10 or a 15-year. There's a cap on that of 30,000. So again, um, you may have a car loan with a regular car payment for the vehicle, and then you're getting an ATAC loan for the equipment, or you, you know, you have enough money to put a down payment on. So there are some limitations with that. Um, you also have to have some type of income, even if it's just Social Security, um, or you have a part-time job, or your family's co-signing or something. Um, but you do have to have an income in order to qualify for those loans. Um, again, looking at instead of going new, going used, looking at the ATAC program or the Pass It On Center to find in your state where the online exchanges are, where the different resources are for finding used equipment. 
Um, crowdfunding is a big way that you see a lot of people um, raising funds to get um, an accessible van. Um, with that, you have to understand that with crowdfunding, that's considered um, unearned taxable income. So if you're receiving Medicaid or SSI, it could knock you out of eligibility um, during the period that you have those funds until those funds are spent down. So um, you have to um, be very careful um, with that. Um, the other option is my organization being a nonprofit, we um, have our own crowdfunding site that people can use, um, but we also do fundraising support where we can set up a dedicated account and then work with the individual in their church or their community or people to make donations to us on their behalf. But that money cannot be given to the individual. It can only pay a vendor because the IRS doesn't let you take money in and then give it to people that way. We can only pay a vendor um, out. So those funds would have to go um, specifically um, to pay the conversion company or the car company or whatever. Um, so those are some of the different um, ways um, we've been able to help people get funding. Um, but funding is probably the number one barrier to people driving. Um, funding to pay for the training and, and evaluation, funding for the conversions, funding for the vehicles, especially if people are on SSI or Social Security on very limited fixed incomes. Great, thank you for that information, Sandy. Yeah. Um, so we're at the end of the podcast now, but before we sign off, is there anything either of you would like to add about adaptive driving that we didn't touch on today? Yeah, I wanted to add too with um, driving with traveling um, that you, if you do pass the evaluation and you do get your license and you get that far, maybe you're using public transit or relying on other people all the time, but sometimes you're gonna rent a vehicle and you don't have to go to wheelchair getaways and those kind of places that charge a lot more. You can go under covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can go to any rental car company and request in advance. Most of them require 70, 48 to 72 hours in advance, especially if you're needing a custom whatever, and then they can provide um, the adapted vehicle for you so that you can rent it. Um, and, and then, um, you know, do whatever errands you have to do or, you know, go on the trip that you want to take. For the specialized equipment, typically what they're doing is they're contracting with one of the um, uh, custom van companies and that and renting from them. But a lot of times there is a limitation where they'll say it's an undue financial burden to do the high tech kind of controls because they're so specific for an individual. And so those vehicles wouldn't be available, but a ramp van with a power seat, you know, six way power seat and hand controls on the left or the right, the spinner knob, the electric tie down, the ability to drive from your chair, all those things um, can be available through your regular enterprise Hertz um, type rental facility, but it has to be done in advance. And don't just think because you made the reservation 
it will be there. You want to call and confirm that it's going to be there, you know, even mm -hmm. be a pain in the butt to make sure that what mm -hmm. you've ordered is actually going to be there. Yeah, and one last thing, this is Tammy. Um, I, uh, if if your system, and and is is custom, then you have to you have to realize that you know that might not be an, it's not going to be an option. Even if you're pretty adjustable or flexible, um, you know, using mechanical hand controls and things, that. But if you have a real specific, um, custom to you piece of equipment. Um, just know that that's not going to be custom piece of equipment to you. So you have to you have to remember that it's as well. Correct. It won't be available. And also, um, you can buy portable hand controls, um, but a lot of the companies have restrictions where you can't put it on their vehicle. So if you're borrowing a car from a friend or your parents or something and you want to put the portable hand controls on, you can do that if you're just using regular uh, mechanical hand controls. But... Um, you, you have to be aware that they function a little bit different and all that. And you have to be, have that capacity and make sure you've practiced and they're secured properly. Cause if they fall off, you're kind of um, in a mess, right? Exactly. And it's yeah. unsafe. So I personally don't recommend people getting portable hand controls. And back in the day, that's all we had. Um, so you rented a car and then you got on the ground and installed them yourself and you drove away. Um, but now with the ADA and the availability of getting rentals, um, so that it's on their insurance, um, you know, and liability, and it's more secure and they're installed permanently, properly, like um, if you were to have them installed on your vehicle, they have NHTSA certified installers. Um, that's the way to go. Okay, thank you for talking about rental vehicles. That, that was a great... Um, addition to our our list of topics that we covered today. So thank you um, both. We'll end on that note. Um, we appreciate you joining us today and um, covering all these great topics on adaptive driving. Thank you. Thank you.